This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. You might notice we're a little bit early today. Uh, We just happened to uh, have a couple availabilities in our schedule, so we decided to speed things up a little bit and do a show at 3.30 today. Uh, But we've got a great program for you. We're going to be discussing some of John MacArthur's arguments uh, for why the gift of healing has ceased. It's going to be an interesting program. You guys stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a show where we tackle history, theology, and the gifts of the Spirit. My name is Joshua Lewis. I'm the pastor of King's Fellowship in Ada, Oklahoma, together with my friends Michael Miller at Reclamation Church Denver and Michael Roundtree at Bridgeway Church OKC. We set aside time every week to discuss the gifts of the Spirit. Things like, how should we pray for the sick? And how do we interpret tongues? And should we believe all the prophetic words for the new year? you're looking for a charismatic podcast with practitioners who are actually doing the stuff, this is the show for you. Guys, we've got a great program for you today. We're going to be discussing the gift of healing uh, and our cessationist brothers who disagree with us on that subject. They have lots of various arguments for it. Today, we're going to be looking at a specific argument from uh, John MacArthur, uh, a pastor there in California, and we're going to be responding to that today. Before we dive in, I want to remind you that we're entirely crowdfunded. So if you want to support the channel, you can do so in the links of the description. You can give a one-time gift on PayPal. It's that top link or the link right beneath it. You can give on Patreon. Choose to give on Patreon as those five bucks a month. You get access to extra content like our extended interview with Mark Ward, where I asked him a few extra questions from our uh, show this week, or, or maybe the one from last week where we discussed uh, the gift of tongues, whether it be glossolalia or xenolalia with the guys from Trinity Radio. Uh, anyway, if you're interested in some of that content, there's lots of stuff like that that can be found over on Patreon. Without further ado, I want to introduce you to my co-hosts. I've got Michael Miller and Michael Roundtree with me today, as always, uh, on our Wednesday show discussing the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, Michael, I'll just let which one of you respond. I got both of your attention with that, Michael. Uh, it's it's always fun to do that. Um, uh, which one do you want to go first? Like, excited about the program? Anything you want to yeah. tee up as we get into it? Yeah, my hair's a little mashed down because we have like a kid's camp going on and I I don't know if this is anywhere on the internet. I don't think it is, but uh, I did wear an avocado costume today and danced. That's better so, than the Ninja Turtle costume. I have maybe worn not. that too. <laughs> Dude, that Ninja Turtle costume, that was glorious. Michael tried to direct traffic one time. This is probably 15 years ago now, where he tried to direct traffic in a Ninja Turtle costume on the side of a highway. Well, that we had a happened. youth yeah when i was a youth pastor i dressed up like so we had like a dress-up party at this camp in new mexico it was like a 12-hour drive away and i decided to wear my costume on the bus the whole bus ride home and then the bus broke down and suddenly i found myself this is lending so much credibility to our continuationist argument for yeah it's so glorious though once upon a time i dressed up like an (laughs) ninja turtle (laughs) thanks for keeping us on track josh that's why you're here (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, you I don't know, know why. I don't yeah. know why I'm like, hey guys, what do you guys think about today's content? It goes straight to you. I dressed up like a Ninja Turtle and I got funny hair. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know what, Josh? We took up so much time. Let's just not even ask Basement Boy how he's doing. Let's just jump straight in. All right, so hold we, on. I got to learn your, guys your time kind of got zapped. Sorry. No, no, no. I don't know if you can see this. See this? A little girl. It's yeah, got to be at your face yeah. distance if it's going to be in focus, Miller. That's oh, how okay. focus works. Is that better? Yep. Dude, that's my daughter. She's doing ballet all this week. It Super is cute. like every day is like chock full of cuteness. Look at this. Yeah. Adorable. Josh, that was, man, that was really relevant. Totally. Thanks relevant. for bringing that up. And without further ado, let's get into <laughs> our first clip. Now, if we backing off from that, if we just said, let's look at Jesus and if anybody is healing today, then and if Jesus healing is the pattern and the apostles is the pattern, how did they heal? And I'll simply remind you of it. We'll make a comparison and see if today it works like that. First, Jesus healed with a word or a touch. It's all it took. He touched. He spoke. They were healed. Secondly, Jesus healed instantaneously. Never in all his healings does the Bible say he healed somebody and they started getting better. No, there was never a process. Because if there was a process, the point wasn't made, right? Because if there was a process, then it could be explained another way. It was instantaneous. The centurion's servant was healed. I love it. Matthew 8, 8, 13. That very hour. The woman with the bleeding problem, it went away immediately. Jesus healed ten lepers instantaneously. The crippled man at the pool of Bethesda immediately became well. Thirdly, Jesus healed totally, totally. When someone was healed, they were totally and completely healed. The only kind of healing Jesus ever did. He didn't partially heal. He healed totally. Fourthly, He healed anybody. He healed anybody. He didn't have to have a long line of people filling out cards. And he certainly didn't have a whole group of people who came into the meeting in wheelchairs and left in wheelchairs, if they had wheelchairs or crutches or whatever. Luke 4.40 says, While the sun was setting, all who had any sick with various diseases brought them to him, and laying his hands on every one of them, he was healing them. It's an incredible thing. He healed everybody. He healed everybody instantaneously. He healed everybody totally. And he healed everybody with a word. There wasn't some fault or all. It's just a word. Fifthly, he healed organic disease. He didn't just go around Palestine healing lower back pain, heart palpitations, headaches, and other things like that. He healed the most obvious organic disease, crippled bent legs, withered hands, blind eyes, paralysis. Sixthly, he raised the dead. He raised the dead. He came upon a funeral, and he raised the dead. Remember that? Here comes a funeral procession. The widow's going to bury her son, and Jesus stops the profession, uh, the procession, touches the casket, and says, young man, arise. Jesus and the dead man the sat up and funeral. began to speak. Now, I'll tell you something. People who tout the gift of healing today don't spend a lot of time in funeral processions. The reason is obvious. And you need to note, by the way, that Jesus did virtually all his healing and raising the dead in public before vast crowds of people. Why? Because the gift of healing was real and it was an authenticating gift. He used it to confirm the claim that He was the Son of God in a way that displayed His power and compassion. Then we ask the question, how did the, the disciples or apostles heal? How did they heal? How did the twelve and the seventy and others who worked with them like Barnabas and Philip and Stephen? And those are the only ones. It didn't just run rampant through everybody in the church. But those people who had that gift, how did they heal? How did they do it? Well. 
Same way. They healed with a word or a touch. We see that in the book of Acts. They healed instantaneously, immediately. Remember at the temple gate, Peter and John? The man immediately went to his feet, started leaping, walking, praising God. They healed totally. Not partial, total. They healed everybody. In fact, people who got under Peter's shadow got healed. They healed organic disease, not just functional, psychosomatic, symptomatic problems, and the apostles even raised the dead. Now, nobody is exhibiting those six traits in a healing ministry today. So if this is supposed to be the recapturing of the apostolic era, it's really out of sync with that. And a final note, according to Scripture, those who possess those abilities to heal could use their gift at will. Well, now, if we... If you, backing off from oops, that, if we just said, let's... Sorry. I don't know if you guys caught that. He actually... One of his points contradicts another point. Did you guys catch that? I, I don't know if you noticed it. No. He talked about how, sure. uh, uh, what did he say? He said, um, well, point one was that, that God, Jesus was, used, Jesus was used to heal the sick only by touch or when he spoke to them. But then later on, he goes, and the apostle Paul's shadow healed people. So like one of the requirements for it to be considered the gift of healing is that it be done by speech or touch. And then he goes on to close with a thought, that did not include either of those things. So anyway, uh, fun fact. Um, so let's start off uh, at the top. Uh, you know, uh, Apostle John MacArthur says, uh, if Jesus is healing, uh, healing is the, is the pattern and the apostles is the past pattern. How did they heal? Uh, and I'll simply remind you of it. Uh, we'll make a comparison and see if today it works like that. So he's saying, uh, does, does today's miracles re reflect the kind of miracles we see in the life of Jesus and the apostles? kind of want to turn it over to you guys. Do you think that that is a uh, good way to uh, frame this discussion? Well, it's it, it's not the best way. I mean, it's certainly relevant to look at the narratives of Scripture, see how they did it, and try to apply it to us. But if you take his same criteria and you apply it to other spiritual gifts, like let's say you take the gift of teaching, you say, well, Jesus taught with authority, not like the scribes of Pharisees, and G Jesus drew multitudes of people to his teaching and uh, Jesus always perfectly communicated the truth in love and Jesus uh, always spoke in, uh, with the fullness of the Spirit and he never had any doctrinal error. Which of us can say that in our teaching we've never, ever, ever, ever had any doctrinal error? Jesus can say that, uh, but we can't. And so are we going to conclude from this that because we can't teach like Jesus, Therefore, the gift of teaching no longer exists because MacArthur is saying, because healing doesn't look like it did for Jesus, therefore healing doesn't exist. So the comparison doesn't make sense anyway. Now, once we drill into the examples, we also see, as you said, sometimes they contradict each other. Sometimes they're just flat, untrue statements uh, as to what happens in the scripture. Sometimes they're drawing too heavily or uh, making inferences uh, that are that go beyond the text and and sometimes there are arguments from science. We'll talk about all of those things. We're only at this point assessing like the first two sentences of what he said, and we're saying already you're two sentences in and it's not true. John, you're not teaching like Jesus. So does that mean that you don't have a gift of teaching? I think you do have a gift of teaching. So uh, it doesn't apply it's to not that. that. So good I, of that's one. What I would because of what's that? how bad his logic is. <laughs> I said it wasn't that good, good of a gift of teaching because of how bad and reductionistic his arguments are. Uh, also, I would say that on this argument, and I think I put this somewhere else in the notes, that this 
is taking um, it's not it's not an appropriate way of looking at a text. He is taking a uh, descriptive text that describes the acts of the apostles in Jesus and then is pulling out principles and prescriptively applying them to our life and practice. In fact, the oneness Pentecostals will do this when it comes to uh, salvation in the book of Acts. They'll say, look at all these people who spoke in tongues when they got saved. Therefore, salvation and tongues are inherently tied together. So they take a descriptive text describing what's happening and then applying it prescriptively for us. You must do this action in order to be saved. Uh, and I'm not saying that, you know, John is anywhere nearly uh, flirting with an, uh, a line of heresy like the oneness Pentecostals are in either the doctrines of the Trinity or in the doctrines of tongues. Um, but I would I would submit that a prescriptive text does not get to, if we pull principles out of a pre- uh, descriptive text, we don't get to apply it prescriptively and say, well, because this is describing these events, therefore we must do these things. It'd be the equivalent of saying anytime there's a dispute in the church, we should split up rather than striving for the bond of peace. Because in Acts right. 15, Paul and Barnabas had a dispute and they split up. No, the okay. the, the prescriptive text of strive for the, the for the bond of peace and strive for unity and bear one another's burdens like those prescriptive texts take authority over the descriptive texts and i think that uh, it's an inappropriate way of pulling principles and demanding that this is the standard it's another thing to say like hey you know jesus and the apostles did these things we should be aiming for that we should be looking for that we should take note of their pattern but then to say you know um uh, that there is some kind of like, again, you know, uh, I'm not going to take a text that says Jesus picks up mud and throws it in some guy's eyes and heals him with mud. Therefore, this is how we heal. That is using a descriptive text inappropriately. And I think that's what John's doing here. Um, anyway, uh, any other thoughts on well, that? Let me let me actually respond to that. And Miller, I'll try to pull you in on this and ask you, because this whole prescriptive, descriptive line of reasoning, and I, I agree with it, but it's also been used against continuationists to say like, hey, you guys read the book of Acts and think that's a prescription for how we should act. That's just descriptive. I mean, I myself have taught from the pulpit, like, hey, guys, the book of Acts is not a news report. Like, it, like it's, not just, or it's not just like reading an ancient newspaper. Uh, it's actually telling us how to live our lives. It, it is instructive, even if we have to interpret it differently than we would say an epistle, which we would describe as didactic. And so acknowledging the difference between, uh, say, narrative literature and didactic literature, at the, at the same time, we can learn from narrative literature and we can derive principles from narrative literature in the scripture. And so, Miller, what would you, uh, how would you respond? Because you, you just heard Josh, uh, Josh say like, hey, you're, you're treating this narrative literature like it's didactic. Um, and and I agree with your point, Josh. But then the cessationist is going to turn around and say the same thing about to us about the Book of Acts. What would you say to that, Miller? Uh, so I would push back a little bit in the sense that you can take what is a descriptive text and use it prescriptively in the sense that uh, if you see something repeated over and over again, then uh, then it does give precedent for that to be normative. And so in Johnny Mac's case, he's saying that Jesus touched, he spoke. Well, that happened several times. So I could say that we should be able to expect that through laying on of hands and through speaking a word, uh, then we should see healings. But it doesn't necessitate that it looked that way every single time. Uh, is that kind of answering your question? Yeah, I think so. Josh, what, what would you say? Um, well, it's... I, I, if, if you're going to say that um, continuationists use descriptive text, I would say yes, but 
we also well, everyone have, uses descriptive we also text. have prescriptive text we have a text that says right do not forbid the speaking of tongues we have a text that says earnestly desire prophecy we have a a, a verse that says um don't despise prophecy uh, but to test everything we have all of these descriptive uh, these prescriptive texts telling us what to do and then we have the book of acts showing us how it's done so those are two different things you can you can learn and glean from principles but to compile those principles and create like an arbitrary list of things that are required before something's fulfilled. Like I could have, there's a bunch of things that Jesus did in his ministry that none of us will ever right. do in our ministry. And if we say, well, this is all that evangelism ever is, you can create, you can create an, an impossible wall to jump, an impossible hurdle to say, this is the qualifications for that. But MacArthur is not pulling a sola scriptura. This is what the gift of healing is. These are the six points. He's pulling a description of some of the healings, and frankly, I think misrepresenting some of the healings, it's the equivalent of preaching like a topical sermon or an exegetical sermon. You can make the text of scripture say whatever you want if you're preaching a topical sermon, right? You can just pull verses over here and verses over there and like, look, the Bible's socialist. Like you can just make up whatever thing you want if you're kind of cherry picking and then interpreting the data right. as you see fit. And I feel like that's what he's doing here. He is cherry picking. He, he is cherry picking. Sure. That's exactly Yeah, right. and... So to kind of reinforce that, and I, I think I agree with what both of you are saying. I mean, all of us are saying, including Johnny Mac, Acts is in the book of the Bible. The, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John, are just as authoritative as the epistles. But interpretively, we look at the didactic scripture for its clear statements to, to help us understand how do we how are we to interpret the narratives uh, the narratives of scripture and so uh, that's where continuationists actually stand on solid ground because we read the book of acts and to your point miller we see repeated over and over again signs wonders miracles not just from apostles uh, but also from non-apostles and so we see this repeated lesson over and over again and then we see it reinforced in the epistles that we're supposed to actually go after these things. So when it's narrated and we naturally draw the conclusion based on repetition, and then the epistles, didactic literature that just directly makes statements about what to do and not do, we read that and we're like, okay, putting it all together, that actually lands us on the continuationist side. Also, like I just finally on, on this point, I know we're already 17 minutes in, but finally on this point, I think that if you follow these six criteria, which I think is actually closer to seven criteria that John sets forth, uh, I believe that all of the apostles, maybe with the exception, well, actually all the apostles, um, all the elders, all the deacons and all the members of the early church that operated in spiritual gifts, none of them could have walked in the gift of That's healing. Right. I think if you That's walk right. through this list and we're going to, we're going to prove it as we walk through it, no one in the early church fits this description with the exception of Jesus. So none of them could. Yeah. So uh, anyway, okay. does one of you guys want to take a stab at that second or that first point, even yeah. though that's just the introduction that we just Miller, did. Miller, tell me what you think of this. So that here's here's what he says Go next. He says, um, so you, you heard the audio, but now we're going to break it down. So next he says, first, Jesus healed with a word or a touch. That's all it took. He touched. He spoke. They were healed. Miller, what's your response? Uh, I would say, yes, he did. And that should be something we could expect. I would also say there's a number of other ways that he healed. And one of the other examples that he gave was the 10 lepers. And what he fails to do is recognize that they weren't healed instantly. He's, he's, he takes that as the example of people that were healed instantly, but it doesn't say that. It actually says, it says they were as, as they, they went. went. I mean, like, I know, I'm like, I wrote how, that down too. I just, the irony there is he's, it he's proves literally the opposite point lying like he's just just wrong he doesn't know what he's talking about 
uh, yeah, it proves just the opposite of his of the point he's making. You're right, right. But yeah, but Josh did the my hair out. Josh, help us. What are some examples? Like I think you said this earlier. Jesus didn't heal only by speech and right. touch, and that there were some right. other and ways. Nor you did the apostles. That a little bit. Yeah, nor did the What's apostles. That? And I made this point earlier, right? So Jesus threw mud in some guy's eyes in John nine verse six. Uh, shadow. I mean, he literally people. baseball chunked it. Like probably yeah. 95, 97 he, miles I, per hour. I mean, if, if you had a clock he's on a that perfect thing, pitcher, I would imagine if he's Jesus, he's never thrown an imperfect pitch. But but you know what? He had a perfect pitch and there are no pitchers anymore today. That's because correct. No one pitches like no one through that mud like Jesus. Uh, what a mudslinger. OK, so Jesus <laughs> threw mud in some guy's eyes in John 9, 6, his shadow. Uh, Paul, his shadow was healing people in Acts 5, 15. I say Paul. I'm sorry. Peter's shadow is healing people. Handkerchiefs are healing people in Acts 19, 12. Uh, so hankies. the question is, like, were the apostles not using the gift of healing when they were using handkerchiefs and shadows? Was Jesus not using the gift of healing when he was using mud? Because uh, John MacArthur suggests that only through touch and only through a word were the gifts of healing used. And I, I guess you'd have to ask the question as well of the Old Testament. Do you think bathing in the River Jordan in Second Kings 5 or Elijah, uh, his bones, you know, a body being brought back to life when they threw bones on the body of Elisha in Second Kings thirteen twenty one, or when Elijah lays on the body of a boy in like his, it's a weird story in Second Kings chapter 4, are these less miraculous gifts of the Spirit? Are they less gifts of healing. I mean, they're doing this action of healing a sick person or healing a dead person. If they're doing this action, I would want to call it the gift of healing. Um, regardless, I, I don't want to just use the story of Jesus. It would be like saying, you know, what is the covenant? Let's just look at the story of Jesus. Let's just look at the new covenant in his blood. Let's just, and not looking at the Old Testament as context. You know, one of the things that cessationists frequently do to the continuationist movement is say, you can't just define prophecy as being new in the New Testament and different in the New Testament. You have to take all of the Old Testament text in context and read them into the interpretation of prophecy in the New Testament. I would just ask them to do the same thing consistently. You can't just take the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus and say, okay, these are the healings he performed, but not look to the Old Testament and allow those healings to inform the gift of healing in the New Testament either. And I don't think that you can look at the life of the apostles and say, well, because those are different, you know, they're not quite the, the gift of Jesus, you know, in, in, in his life and earthly ministry. So those must not be healings either. I would say if it's doing the work of healing, it's the gift of healing, uh, regardless of what period of redemptive history it's coming in contact with. So those are just a few examples. Uh, but I think the Bible is full of those. So again, this idea that Jesus only healed through speech or touch, I think is an overstatement. And, and MacArthur is showing his hand. He's uncomfortable with the different methods and modes in which the charismatic movement is healing. And is in his attempt to police that, yeah. he is overstretching the statements of scripture. Yeah. What about Paul's approach? Take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Hmm. Paul, so Paul offers a medical solution for Timothy. You know, later MacArthur is going to say, well, they healed people at will. And that's really his point here with, with a word or a touch. Well, if they always healed with a word or a touch, well, why didn't he heal uh, Timothy of his frequent stomach ailments uh, instead of saying, take a little wine for your stomach's sake? And uh, speaking of kind of medical, it's like this one's like a mix mixture of medical and spiritual when uh, when Isaiah puts like this sort of boil kind of concoction on Hezekiah to heal him. It, it's a medical solution of the time. Uh, I think it's Isaiah 38, and it's also told uh, in Kings. But uh, anyway, uh, point point being that there was actually like a medical approach to it. I interesting. 
there to say the least. And and man, I would disagree that I mean, I think every healing I've ever seen has involved touch. I mean, uh, no, I mean, I guess some have I've, I've, I've some seen... healings have involved just words, but they have always involved words or touch. So yeah, the give Miller he says, a cell phone. Yeah, yeah, Miller's done it over. Uh, Miller's healed via cell phone. I've seen that too. Oh, here's the one. Actually, one of my fave stories uh, the, uh, is the one Jack Deere tells. Jack Deere, who was like one of his spiritual fathers, was John Wimber. And and Jack, Jack will not tell a story if it is not true. If it is exaggerated in the slightest, he won't tell it at all. Like he he stays away from that stuff. I mean, if you read his books, he does careful research. So Anyway, but he tells a story like he he just says, I was I said, tell me Wimber stories that nobody else knows. And the, and one of the stories uh, and he told a lot, but one of the stories was I was in an airport with him and there was a blind man and Wimber extended his hand toward the blind man without even touching him and said, see, and the man immediately saw and started freaking out. That's what Deer wow. told me. Did he ever tell you that story, Miller? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know it was at an airport. Um, I knew that, that that's I knew that story. I didn't realize the context for it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I've seen a number of healings where nobody laid hands on anybody. I remember Michael. Do you remember we were in Fargo, North Dakota, doing a conference, and mm-hmm. I had I've been praying that God would oh, yeah, honor Fargo. Psalm one hundred seven twenty, that He would uh, heal people in their seats without anybody ever laying hands on them. Mm-hmm. And I remember calling a woman out and saying. Uh, I feel like you have issues with your eyes and that God wants to heal you. And the next day, um, this other woman came up, not the woman I was talking to, a different one said, when you said, I feel like God wants to heal you, it was like somebody took a, a bucket of hot liquid and poured it over my head. She said, I had, I've been in a car accident and got a concussion. And for two years, I've been seeing double. But when you said those words, this liquid just fell into my face, and all of a sudden, I could see clearly and have and was completely healed. Yeah, yeah. Nobody so laid hands. Words. Let, no touch. Y'all ready to go. this next one? No touchy. Yeah. Okay. So second, Jesus healed instantaneously. Is what MacArthur says. Never in all healings does the Bible in the Bible does he heal somebody and they started getting better. No, there was never a process because if there was a process, the point wasn't made, right? Because if there was a process, then it could be explained another way. It was instantaneous. The centurion's servant was healed. I love it. Matthew eight thirteen. that very hour, the woman with uh, the bleeding problem, it went away instantly. Jesus healed the 10 lepers instantly. I don't know why he used that one. That was such a bad example. The crippled man at the pool of Bethesda immediately became well. Uh, uh, thirdly, Jesus healed totally so I'm doing point two and three together, right? Uh, healed totally, totally. When someone was healed, uh, they were totally and completely healed. The only kind of healing that Jesus ever did. He didn't partially heal. He healed totally. So not only did he heal totally, but he healed instantaneously. Now in Luke 17, 11 through 19, you have the story of the 10 lepers that John MacArthur quotes here. And in that story, it says they went away. And as they were going away, they realized that they'd been healed. And one comes back to worship, right? So it's this process of healing. And in Mark chapter 8, 22 through 26, Jesus brings this guy outside the city, lays hands on him, right? It's the, it's the mud throwing story that I, I, I brought up earlier. He, he pitches mud into this guy's eyes. And then, you know, he's like, hey, what do you see? He's like, men as trees walking. And then he prays a second time, right? And then he receives his sight fully. So in both of these accounts, you have a progressive 
and non-instantaneous healing. So Jesus doesn't even fit the description of healing that MacArthur wants. Um, anyway, what do you guys think about that? I'll, I'll just toss it over to you guys. <laughs> oh, man. So, so many things. Uh, you know, one, I would say not only did Jesus not heal everyone completely and totally, gosh, Josh, you gave some great examples of him healing some people uh, gradually and uh, not totally at first. Okay. But in addition, there are times when he heals not at all. Okay. Matthew 13. He did not do many miracles in his hometown because of their unbelief. Even Jesus was in his humanity, limited by the faith or lack thereof in his hometown. Uh, John doesn't mention those people. And so to say that every single person was healed totally and immediately, what about not at all for some of them? Uh, and then there is the Gerasene demoniac, and it's told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in uh, at least in Mark's version. Uh, it, it's Gerasene or Gadarene, depending on uh, which gospel you're in. Um, but uh, anyway, it, it says that he, this was the Legion story where he cast like the 2,000 demons into the pigs, or well, it was really 2,000 pigs, and I assume that many demons. Anyway, a Legion, and uh, its name is Legion. And it says that he was commanding the demons to leave when he said, what is your name? The implication is that Jesus was in an on, and it's not just an implication, it's just what it means. It's what it, the, the verb tense that's used there. It doesn't, it doesn't say Jesus commanded, but was commanding this. So, so over a period of time, Jesus is saying, come out of this person or something like that. And then he says, after it doesn't succeed at first, then he says, what is your name? We've done whole, you know, demon casting out videos and what is your name and the relevance of that. That's a whole different story. But the point is, it was gradual and it took some time. And it's a, it's a, you know what it shows me, guys? And this is so true, so commonly of cessationists, is they're so confident in their position they don't think they have to research the other position. They're so confident in their position, they don't think they have to read critically their own positions. And this is so easily refutable. It is so flat out wrong that if I was going to use John MacArthur's uh, methodology here, I would conclude that he doesn't have a gift of teaching because he made a mistake. And Jesus defines what teaching is and Jesus never made mistakes. John clearly makes mistakes here, but I'm not going to make that assertion because it's a faulty logic to start with that if it's not just like Jesus, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, so many problems with this, guys. Miller, would you chime in anything on, on what I just said? Yeah, I guess I'm just wondering if I had proof of actual healings that took place instantly, would that sudden, somehow convince him? And I think the problem is, is nothing would ever so convince him. And the fact is I have proof. So I was just thinking I have a testimony right in front of me, a lady named Patty uh, Hinojosa. Um, she had a deaf ear and uh, a, a partially blind eye, and this is all medically documented. And here's her testimony. Just so thankful and grateful for the healing, and I cannot thank you enough for praying for me. And my three-year-old daughter was there with me. We laid hands on her, and she was instantaneously healed. She could literally count the buttons on my shirt, whereas with one eye, the bad eye that she couldn't see through, uh, where there was complete blackness there before. Um, so I, I'm just like, what do you need? Well, you um, know what he I would say, Miller? He would say, yeah. ah, 
partially blind. I didn't see Jesus heal any partially blind people, which then we would say, well, Mark chapter eight. Makes, Dude was fully blind. There you go. Then partially blind, then fully right. healed. But the point is nothing. Yeah. You're you're right. Nothing will convince them. Nothing. Will yeah. And, them. and maybe maybe you're like, hey, you know, you know, Michael, your stories are circumstantial. You know, you don't have enough evidence. Well, I'm so glad that you brought that up because this would be a lot of evidence. Uh, this is Dr. Craig Keener's work <laughs> on miracles. And uh, you just go like if you have scribed, go pick it up on scribed. OK, it's 10 bucks a month. Go Two read volume. these. Like there's tons of documented miracles yeah. and there's an entire organization that's dedicated explain to, to our listeners since not everyone's watching. Some are listening. Tell them what you just held up. Oh, that's a good point. Thank you. I forget that we have a podcast. Um, these are two books that are in. I don't let me look at how many pages we got in here. 600 pages each, probably. I mean, they're both equally stacked as in size. Um, very print. thick dictionary size books. Uh, that are miracles by Dr. Craig Keener. I mean, these are uh, both documented uh, first century stuff, early church stuff, but also present day miracles that are taking place. And like these these things, like we we had people, uh, Andrew Wilson, for example, had a person that was healed and had a testimony and he she submitted that testimony to Dr. Craig Keener and he was so thorough with his research, he didn't have enough uh, proof on the back end of medical documentation that he didn't include it in the book. So there are people who are submitting tons and tons and tons of, of miracle stories that he's not including into these books because he is making sure that there is a sufficient amount of evidence that is submitted before he places them within his like peer-reviewed journaled books of miracles. Like Dr. Craig Keener, one of a kind. You need to go check out those books. If you're out there saying, right. well, why isn't anyone healing like Jesus did? Well, you have to go, nah, 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 to, to really get away with that position because we have actual like scholars, like not just some crackpot, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get aggressive. I'm a little aggressive already. I can tell. Not just like some crazy extra hyper charismatic people, uh, but like scholars that are, you know, presidents of the Evangelical Theological Society. I mean, guys that that are that are world renowned in their fields, like the New Testament scholars, they're saying these things are happening today. And you have to have blind eyes and deaf ears to turn your nose up at it. It's just ridiculous. Hardness of heart. So Sorry. Yeah, Josh, the the I've got the woman's verbal testimony for the uh, x-rays and MRI report that I sent you. Do you want to do you want to try? I mean, I understand it's never going to be enough, but it'd still be helpful. I mean, we've got her, we've, still we've got her today. verbal testimony and you sent we're live and he's like, Hey, can you show these photos? Let me open it up on messenger real quick so I can, I can pull them over. Um, well, I'm just thinking, so this is a woman, I'll just read her testimony. Oh, go ahead, Michael. Oh no, read the testimony. It's fine. Okay. Says, uh, this is from Holly Jones said about eight months ago, I twisted my ankle while walking the dogs. I was thinking I just twisted it. Sometimes it takes a while to heal. I was unable to stand on it, sleep on my stomach without my foot stretched out. I would have to prop it up with a pillow or hang it off the bed, kept crutches in my car at home and a pair in my office. I was, it was constantly swelling and spending the shopping was not happening. So I don't know what that means. Um, I could not twist in a circular motion. I was unable to wear anything that went around or touched the side of the ankle. It was too much pain. Uh, every evening I would come home, elevate on ice. I have numerous people praying, laying hands on my ankle. Doctor was saying surgery, but I didn't want to have surgery. Uh, I just kept asking God to heal it. To be honest, this is way better than having surgery. Uh, anyways, she gave me the, she sent me the MRI report. This is the actual x-rays. Um, it says, when my pastor prayed for me, I was not expecting anything to happen. I believe in prayer. Actually, I love to study prayer. I've seen so many instant miracles, blind eyes, deaf ears, even limbs grow out. And I was, 
I couldn't understand what was holding my healing up. I was frustrated, so tired of hurting. Some days it was even hard to walk. I never turned down prayer, especially from someone uh, who's a pastor. Again, I wasn't expecting anything, but lo and behold, I began to feel warmness in my foot. And by the second prayer, I was twisting my foot, standing on it with all of my weight. And that night I broke out all of my cute shoes, called my family and friends who've been praying for this ankle to let them know that God met me that night and healed me. I sent pictures of my MRI and the report to pastor because I just wanted to make sure he knew what God had done. I was still in awe. Uh, when you've had so much pain for eight months and then it's gone, God is just good. How awesome and is you that? Know what? You know, Miller, that one doesn't count because that's not a disease. Like, oh, God you're right. doesn't heal people of like hurt backs. Dude, and... Here's my deal. Like cessationists. Why are you so eager to not praise God for answers to prayer? Like, help me understand. No doubt. Like, Josh, can you put those two, can you put them side by side so we can see them? I, like there's I'm, one. No, they're not before and after. They're not before it's and after. It's just all of them are before. Her testimony was the after, and she sent me the before photos. But I mean, I was there. I saw her putting all of her weight on it. She'd never had surgery. Uh, so the the thing is, you know, the cessation is like, well, you got to get the pictures afterwards. It's like, well, dude, she's standing. Uh, and I had a doctor look at these x-rays and the MRI report because that doctor went to my church. How, soon, said, how recent yeah, was this? That's a torn Achilles tendon. How, how huh? recent was this, Michael? Oh, uh, gosh, this was in 2018. So five years oh, ago. So, okay, okay. I got you. I was like, I'd pay what? for that x-ray. Um, uh, oh, I mean, I told ago. her I would. She yeah. moved. Five, five years ago, Miller. In Jesus' life, it happened everywhere he went all the time. Jeez, the apostles, Come the on. fact is, constantly the fact is guys, you're telling a story from five years ago uh, right. because you hardly ever see anything. What would you say? But you can take any doctor on this one. A torn Achilles does not heal itself. It is a tendon. Tendons don't just miraculously heal unless there's a miracle. <laughs> uh, so, there, I mean, and, and that's, again, that's a known thing. This isn't like me making this up. And yet this woman, full weight on that foot, which she literally cannot do without a miracle. Okay, so let me, yeah. let me read this next one and I'll get you guys to uh, process it with me. Okay, fourth, he healed everybody, healed anybody. He didn't have, uh, I'm sorry, he didn't have to have a long prayer line long of people line filling of people out cards. Out cards. He certainly didn't have a whole group of people with wheelchairs that came to the meetings, uh, in wheelchairs when they left the meetings. My document is not scrolled all the way over, so I can't quite read that whole paragraph. So uh, yeah, if they, were, if they had wheelchairs or crutches or whatever, Luke uh, 4 verse 40 says, while the sun was setting, all who had any sick with various disease brought them to him and laying his hands on every one of them, uh, he was healing them. It was, it was an incredible thing. He healed everybody. He healed everybody instantaneously. He healed everybody totally, and he healed everybody with a word. There wasn't some, uh, uh, what was that word that I'm missing? Uh, just a word, and he healed with just a word. I, I don't know if that was a misquote or a misscript uh, in there. Uh, anyway, the so this idea, <laughs> what, what's the word? I don't know what you put there. It, it's not a word. Those. I copied this from MacArthur's website. So it was a copy and uh, paste. So it's possible that I just like typed on it on accident. Um, but uh, it, it could just be anyway, wrongly transcribed from the website yeah. as well. We got the gist that yeah. the idea that Jesus healed everyone, which is objectively not true. He didn't heal everyone. He oh, the didn't. pool of Bethesda, which he quotes. <laughs> so yeah. one guy who gets healed he actually only healed one, only one at the pool of bethesda uh but of course we also talked about in jesus's own town he didn't heal every single person we've got galatians 4 13 to 15 uh paul preached in galatia because 
of uh, issue with his eyes. An infirmity. Second Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. We can debate it all, about it all night long, but some kind of non-answer to prayer. Uh, I think it was a bodily affliction. Uh, Philippians 2, 25 to 30, Epaphroditus was ill to the point of death. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, 23, we already talked about that one. Uh, Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. So Timothy was ill. Well, Paul, why don't you just send the word and heal him if you really have a gift of healing? Of course, cessationists will be like, oh, well, Paul didn't have a gift of healing at the end of his life. It was already starting to taper off. And yet at the end of Paul's life in Acts 28, he heals an entire island of people. Stop lying. Okay, 2 Timothy 4.20. <laughs> Trophimus was ill. Uh, I mean, it just keeps he got going. He left at Miletus, and, yeah. He got left, yeah, he was so he, sick. He left Trophimus sick at Miletus is what it says. And so this is actually, uh, I'm not going to say he lied. I know he knows all these verses, but I I guess I did say it's he lied. It's dishonest. It is. It's, it, it's, well, it's dishonest to the text, it's a, and it's dishonest it's a, to evidence that's in front of him that he could quite honestly know. And the fact is, Jack wrote the book rebutting all of these things, and yet he ignores it completely and refuses to show up to a debate, which he was scheduled yeah. to do. No call, no show. Sorry, I'm just gonna throw a little throw a little shade on that one. Okay, yeah. So basically, all we're saying is what John said is not true. It is objectively false, and yet thousands, millions of people follow him into the ditch of cessationism because he's Johnny Mac. Well. So what? What he's saying is biblically false. Josh, do you have anything to add to that? Man, I would say not only do we have these stories of the apostles not sending handkerchiefs, not healing, also not standing around each other and keeping each other from dying. Like, it'd be super simple to like, you know, get behead, beheaded and then John come up behind you and put your body back together and say, be healed in Jesus name. Uh, and then, you know, the whole country is like, wow, let's worship Jesus. Like uh, God sovereignly heals people through human agents. That's how the gift of healing works. And as far as I'm aware, according to first Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine, there are various gifts of healings, plural. And, and when he says that, he doesn't say that just generally to, you know, the apostolic witness and those they laid their hands on. He's talking to the church of Corinth. He's saying, these are the gifts that are exhibited within your body of believer, believers, various gifts of healings, plural. So, so maybe some in that community are supernaturally graced to heal certain elements or certain infirmities and others are gifted in another way, but there's not just one gift of healing. It says gifts of healings, plural on both of those words, which again would imply that there's more than one. So this idea that, well, the gift of healing has to operate in this specific way is undermined by the pluralness of the gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Uh, additionally, uh, additionally, when you're coming at this argument uh, and you're saying that this is the only way that, you, that, that the gift of healing operates, you, you disqualify the apostles you disqualify the Church of Corinth. You disqualify uh, uh, the Church of Galatia. All of these groups that are actively pursuing and practicing spiritual gifts. You know, in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 5, were many miracles done among you by works of the law or hearing and faith, right? So he's, he's, he's rebutting, rebuting, uh, uh, rebuking this specific church for adopting heresies of works-based salvation or works-based works for the spirit. Uh, and as he's correcting them, he brings up this idea, were miracles done among you by works of the law or hearing and faith? The reason that that is so important was that the church of Galatia wasn't full of apostles, wasn't full of elders, wasn't full of specific individuals that the apostles had laid their hands on. Uh, this is a group of people that, that 
the apostle Paul had had preached the gospel to the church of Galatia. They left and the church was growing. The church was maturing and activity was taking place within their midst, just like it was in the church of Corinth, just like it was in the church of Thessalonica. And there's no argument to say that only those whom the apostles laid their hands on had supernatural gifts. The Bible says the spirit gave the gifts as the spirit wills. So again, uh, you know, this this hyper fixation on only these guys could do these miracles and only these guys could do these miracles in these specific ways um, is setting up an argument that's outside of the sola scriptura I constantly hear cessationists appealing to. I want to hold to the scriptures and the scriptures alone as our authority, but you're creating a standard that's outside of the scriptures themselves. And I, and I think that we should yeah. stop holding to these arguments because yeah. they hold yeah, no water. Absolutely. Uh, cool. In a minute, Josh, I'm going to want to pull up that quote from BJ Allen, because I think it's important uh, and we can just answer it really quick. But I also want to say a couple of people in the chat say, like, I guess apparently we're mocking John MacArthur. Um, so, uh, but then others are defending. So who knows? Guys, it, well, if we are, if we are mocking, then that's definitely something to be repented of. We, we are not intending to mock, uh, but it's actually good and right to be passionate about right doctrine. And so uh, I think mocking would be if we uh, if we said in you know insulting like demeaning arguments. Like I can't believe he has like, a baby face and no facial hair. Right, those kinds that of would things. be mocking. Right, like uh, making yeah, yeah. But but we actually should be passionate about this because I I just hate it for the church in the West because I mean let's let's face it the church in the East and the South pretty much for the most part, believes in miracles. And honestly, most of the church in the West, cessationists are a small tree or a small branch of Christendom, we'll put it that way. Um, not not lots of cessationists left, but there are still some clinging to it. Um, anyway, but the, the, the point is, yes, mocking would be wrong, but it is actually good and right and appropriate to be passionate uh, about Wait, truth. If you're not now, passionate, then what are you doing? That's right. Like, seriously, that's right. if you're not passionate but, uh, about, about our faith, then what are you doing? <laughs> You've got to be passionate, right. but but we we definitely shouldn't demean John MacArthur and uh, and Josh has many times on this show said, man, he has a phenomenal ability to teach the Word of God. It's just there's there's some areas that we think are uh, significant blind spots and leading people astray. And and I would add to that that John actually does mock and he considers us not Christians. He says things like that um, because we're charismatic. Now, um, BJ Allen, here's what he says. He says, what examples do we have of someone who came to Jesus for a specific healing and he didn't heal them? And uh, I'm going to answer this real quick. We actually don't have a record of that. Um, we do have a record of Jesus' hometown, people not getting healed, but we're not told the story of how that happened. Uh, and so we don't have a story of like, hey, this person said, hey, Jesus, please heal me. And he says no and finishes with a no. Occasionally he says no. Uh, like with the Canaanite woman, but she persists and then he heals her. And so occasionally that kind of thing happens. And I think that's actually an important lesson when it comes to healing is that God's inclination and heart is to heal. Jesus is the word of God. That is, he's the exact expression of the father's heart. No one who came to him asking for a healing didn't get healed. So Jesus shows us that God's heart is for healing. And I think this should give us confidence in God in praying for healing. And actually, to Johnny Mac's point, I don't have a problem admitting that Jesus was better than healing, better at healing than anybody else. Yes, he was better at healing than anybody else. That doesn't mean that there's not a gift of healing today. So, uh, any guy, do you guys want to add to that before we jump to the next argument? 
No, we've got we got two more we've got to get through. Let's let's just jump through them. I think. Uh, All right, number five. This is this is one that I want Miller to respond to. Okay, fifth, he healed organic diseases. He didn't just go around Palestine healing a lower back pain, which actually I kind of think is funny. Uh, Anyway, so heart palpitations, headaches, and other things like that. Now Jesus never healed a headache. That would be way beneath him. He healed. I'm sorry that (laughs) that was a little bit of scoffing. I suppose Uh, he healed. uh, Miller, get your cursor off that. I can't read it. Um, it says Michael Miller. Okay, so he, he healed the most obvious organic diseases, uh, 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 crippled, bent legs, withered hands, blind eyes, paralysis, that kind of thing. Miller, go ahead and respond to that. Well, first of all, I don't know what he means by organic diseases. Uh, he's talking about things that you can visibly see, maybe? I don't know. But one, when it says he heals them all, I, I would imagine there are people in that crowd who did have back pain. Um, but, but on top of that, we actually have a woman quite literally with a major back issue. Uh, Luke 13, 10 through 17 talks about a woman who had a spirit of infirmity. She had been bent over double for 18 years and he heals her. Uh, we've got a guy, Eutychus that falls out of a window and he dies. And, uh, <laughs> Josh, your show notes say, I'm pretty sure he had back pain. <laughs> he fell out of a window, bro. <laughs> he definitely had back pain. Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, Paul raises him up from the dead. Uh, And then Paul was also raised up after he had been beaten. Uh, So I, I, again, I I don't know where he's getting this from. Um, I think, I think what he's trying to do is attack what happens in many healing meetings where, Hey, like, I feel like God wants to heal back pain and people stand up and they pray for that uh, and people get healed, Um, which I've done that, but that, that's actually just fine. We we do what yeah. we see the father doing. If he wants to heal and, back pain, that's entirely his uh uh what is it? His prerogative. God can yeah. do what he wants. The, and so the people Johnny healed Mack, you don't get to dictate to God what he's allowed to heal and what he's not allowed to heal. That's just not right. That's right. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure the people healed of back pain are not complaining that it was that he only healed their back pain. I mean, I'm pretty sure Amen. they're real happy with it. Yeah, but, I think about you know, John 21:25, right? Like all the miracles weren't recorded, right? So like, which ones were recorded? They only had so much papyrus. They're going to tell you the most extraordinary stories. As, as, as Michael pointed out, Matthew uh, 4, 23, he healed every disease and every affliction. So not just diseases, but also afflictions. Other translations will say infirmities, any kind of ailment. Like the ones that are going to be mentioned, of course, they're going to be extraordinary stories. Like how many times right. have you heard Michael like, Miller tell this testimony here of someone who got head, uh, healed of headaches? It doesn't happen that much because the ones that stick in our mind are the ones of these extraordinary manifestations of a blind eye or a deaf ear. And it's not to say that we're not going to tell stories about headaches. I mean, but but all that to say that if you hear us tell testimony stories, we're we're looking at the ones that are like, extraordinary the the minor ones aren't the ones that we're running to when we're trying to you know explain that god does mighty miracles and works so so i don't right. think that the apostles would do anything different yeah. i i also think of the uh the healing of peter's mother-in-law she had a fever jesus healed her fever yeah. so jesus heals small uh small infirmities he heals big infirmities he does both i think his implication miller and you touched on this was he's criticizing charismatic meetings where they're going after the little stuff. And, uh, and he's saying, I'm not hearing about these stories. Well, the, the reason you're not hearing about the stories is because you're closing your ears and going, la, 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 la. You don't actually want to hear them. Uh, the reason you're not reading the stories is because you never read, you've never read Craig Keener's two-volume work on miracles, nor have you read the low. I mean, 
we read miracle books just for fun because it like not just it, it stirs our faith. We see what God's doing around the world. The other thing is, I, I just can't imagine that John MacArthur is entering into the third world where you know church in China uh, or that's first world, but uh, church in say I'm not going to pick a. Dude, Papua New Guinea. But, it's the church. Papua New Guinea. I say it every time. It's default. <laughs> default area. To well, we're trying to... I guess they, they call it the developing world now. Anyway, doesn't matter. But like, I, I guarantee you, he's not going to those places. And, and because the thing is, when I have... My experience is when cessationist missionaries go overseas and they see God doing these things, they come back and they're either less cessationist or not cessationist anymore. Uh, interesting. Uh, Josh, help me remember who was the couple that we had on the show. It wasn't like a, I don't think it was actually a married couple. It was a, a male and a female, but doctors, researchers, yeah, yeah who went yeah, investigated in Mozambique. Uh, they are answered prayers. What's that? Yeah, they are a couple. They, it's, I believe they it was Josh Brown and was it Candy, Candy Brown or is that right? Or Josh, Josh and Candy Brown, maybe. That's right. Anyway, we have an we have an episode where they and y'all, y'all go back and watch it where they document answered prayer. And it was like, yep, 70% of Heidi Baker, like people that Heidi Baker prays for, for healing of deafness are healed. Something like, wasn't it? I think it was 70% in Mozambique. Now it's less in the US when she comes to the US. Now, why is that? Maybe it's for the same reason when Jesus came to his hometown. I don't know. Uh, I mean, my guess would be that there's faith over there more than there is here. My guess would be it's probably because we're the Laodicean church and we say, oh, I, I see and I hear and all this. And he says, you're blind and poor, miserable, wretched and naked. And you don't even know the, it. That's the video, Revelation 3. Uh, if people want to go watch it right now, they can do that. It is called Can Healing Prayer Be Tested? Scientists Examine Miracle Claims by Josh and Candy Brown. Um, well, by Josh and Candy Brown was what I added. That's, that is their names. Um, but that content is out there. So, uh, guys, we're, again, very towards the end of our show. Uh, we just answered this idea of, okay, it's only organic diseases. That's silly. It feels like, again, it's just a way to, when evidence is brought before them, when testimonies are brought before them, oh, well, uh, it was an internal cancer and, you know, we don't have documentation of it afterward, or it was this internal thing. It was this invisible thing that I couldn't see with my naked eye. And all of the miracles that Jesus did were visible. We could see them. Again, not recorded, and it seems as if uh, it's just a way to discount those stories. Do you guys want to talk about uh, sixthly raising the dead? Sure, I'll read that. Okay, go ahead, Miller. Sure. Why don't you respond? Sixthly, sure. he raised the dead. He raised the dead. He came upon a funeral and he raised the dead. Do you remember that? He comes on a funeral procession. The widow's going to bury her son, and Jesus stops the procession, touches the casket, says, "Young man, arise." And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And I'll tell you something, people who tout the gift of healing today don't spend a lot of time in funeral processions. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the reason is obvious. And you need to note, by the way, that Jesus did virtually all his healing and raising the dead in public before vast crowds of people. Why? Because the gift of healing was real and it was an authenticating gift. He used it to confirm the claim that he was the son of God in a way that displayed his power and compassion. Okay. Miller, what, what thinkest thou? Well, I agree with him that Jesus does these things to display his compassion, and he's still compassionate today. Um, but if what he's saying is true, that anybody with a gift of healing uh, also could raise the dead, then that would assume that Jesus raised every person that died from the dead in his 33 years of doing ministry here on the earth. Like, there's a lot of people Jesus probably didn't raise from the dead. Um, but then on top of that, 
that would like again John would the disqualify. Baptist. Right. Yeah, like John the Baptist. It was a great point. Why did Jesus, you know, weep on this? Um, but uh, not only that, why did any of the apostles die or anyone for that matter? Uh, why, why have they died today? I mean, the, the idea that anybody with a gift of healing could just heal on command would mean that nobody in the early church uh, ever stayed dead. Uh, so it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't equate. Um, but the other thing, uh, oh yeah, I don't know. There's a couple of other things about that. It, again, he's, he's taking it to a standard that he himself wouldn't hold in other areas of the scripture. Uh, and, and I think it's self-contradictory. Um, sorry. I lost yeah. my train of thought there. I got nothing else. Josh, what do you think? What do you think of that quote? Jesus raised the dead. Why aren't you, Josh, why don't you spend more time at funeral processions? Well, uh, Miller brought up a great point. Jesus didn't heal everyone in a funeral, but everyone that he had ever gone to a funeral. Because in 33 years, you've gone to more than one funeral in first century, you know, Palestine. Oh, uh, yeah. But, but then you have all these other guys, right? Like how many of the apostles raised the dead? One. Right. So so are all of the apostles who Peter had Paul. the gift of healing, are, are all of them ungifted with the gift of healing? Because only one of them is recorded of raising the dead. Like, like, do you see how quickly this argument just unravels this whole idea? Jesus gives all 12 disciples the authority to go heal the sick, to cast out demons, right? He gives them authority to heal. And John is saying, raising the dead is part of the gift of healing. If that's true, then at least one apostle had that gift, and that was Paul. We don't have record of anyone else raising the dead. And then subsequently, I think Peter, Paul I think could Peter raise Trophimus. He left at Miletus, uh, you know, at my, uh, he left Trophimus at Miletus sick, right? You have all of these other accounts uh, throughout the Bible where Paul couldn't heal people on command. So you're suggesting that everyone should be able to raise the dead on command? And, and again, our position as continuationist is that the gift of healing operates today in the 21st century like it did in the first century. I've given you multiple examples with Trophimus, uh, Timothy, the Apostle Paul, uh, Epaphroditus, all of these accounts tell us stories of people who were sick uh, and or left sick or almost died um, and, and or instructions on how to uh, get healing when we could have just sent a handkerchief if we can heal on command. So if in the first century, the apostles who exercised the gift of healing couldn't do it on command, I don't think it happens on command for us either. If we're to trust God, not the outcome, we're to, to pray in faith, believing that God will do a miracle, it's his prerogative on who he will heal and who he doesn't. And, and, right. and the one thing, again, about Jesus healing everyone he was led by the Spirit perfectly. Like, I'm not living in perfect unity with the Spirit to know what to do and how to do it and how to operate and, and who to go to that's ready for healing and who not to go to because they don't have enough faith. Like, I, I don't know if it's God's will to heal this person in this age or if it's God's will to heal this person in the age to come. Like, I just, I don't know all of the various variables that take place with the gift of healing where Jesus was perfectly led by the omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful Spirit of God. So again, I, I think that you, you, you stack my life against Jesus Sure, I'm going to fall short. You stack the apostles' life against Jesus, the apostles are going to fall short. And I just don't think it's a it's a fair metric. You're making such a high, again, high ceiling that everyone in the first century couldn't follow this unless it was Jesus himself. Roundtree, you had something you want to add in there? Did I, did I miss a, a miracle story of Peter raising someone from the dead? Yeah, Peter raises Dorcas from the dead. There you go. Uh, also called Tabitha, Acts nine, but, but um, not Bartholomew, but, not not uh, Ty, uh, uh, Thomas, not not uh, all the other you know twelve disciples. You got ten other ones that didn't raise the dead, right? 
<laughs> yeah, and, and as far go, as we too. know, but that's that's how if a cessationist is going to be consistent in their desire to argue from silence, then that is how they would have to argue. None of the other apostles did it. Um, so, uh, yeah, a few things. Gosh, where do I uh, where do I start? I think, you know, one thing he makes the point that healing is an authenticating gift because it authenticated that Jesus is the son of God. I think that's definitely true of Jesus uh, as one reason that he heals. He also fortunately mentions compassion. And to your point, Miller, um, Jesus is still compassionate. And uh, Hebrews 4 teaches us that. He's a sympathetic high priest. So uh, he's still compassionate. And if he healed people because of his compassion, then why did why wouldn't he continue healing people today? Uh, but it is authenticating of Jesus in, uh, in the book of John, where his healings are called signs. That is, signs of Jesus' identity as Christ, the Son of God, that we might place our faith in him and find eternal life. Okay, so that's definitely true. Um, but then what about the apostles? Is there healing? We don't have any statement that says, and cessationists love to say, that the, uh, that the quote, sign gifts, not used in the Bible, that language, but the quote, sign gifts were to authenticate the apostles as trustworthy teachers of doctrine. Give me a verse that says that. Not one verse in the Bible says that the signs and wonders were given to authenticate the apostles themselves. They say rather that they were given to point to Jesus. And so Jesus did signs to point to his identity as the son of God. The apostles did signs to point not to their identity, but to Jesus's identity as the son of God. So both perform miracles for the same reason. They were signs to point to Jesus's identity. Is it not still relevant that Jesus is the son of God? Do we not still want to point people to that reality? I know that John MacArthur and other cessationists say we should use our words to point people to Jesus's identity, uh, that he is the son of God. Well, why wouldn't we pursue signs and wonders to also, just like words can be a medium, miracles can be a medium that point people to Jesus. And this is the way the apostles saw it when they said, now, Lord, consider your threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness as you, uh, as you pour out signs and wonders through the, uh, or as you stretch out your hand to perform miraculous signs and wonders through your holy servant, Jesus. Okay. So they're, they're praying for signs and wonders to testify to Jesus, which is what exactly what Jesus told them to do in Acts 1.8 when he says, power will come upon you to be my witnesses. So the power is going to help you point, not to yourself, but to Jesus. And, and anytime, if there's a critique of charismatics, that's our problem, is that we use the miracles to point to ourselves. We say, hey, look at me, I'm a healer, and hey, look at me, I'm a prophet, and wear these like name badges. I, I think Johnny Mack and, and the rest of the cessationists have some fair critiques of charismatics. Now, they tend to take the very worst of us, the worst examples, and say that they smear it across and apply it to every single charismatic. That's false. But I'm just saying, let's look at the Bible. And, and the Bible says that miracles are to authenticate the message, not the messenger, as in the apostles or anyone else besides Jesus. Um, they're, they're to point to Jesus and the message of Jesus, not to, not to authenticate apostles or the messengers. So uh, that, that's my input. Any, any, uh, yeah. any 
final thoughts on I, that? I think we're clipped. I got one other little thing I would say on this one. If if healing was solely to point out the fact that Jesus is who he says he is, to, to authenticate his identity uh, before the people that he's witnessing to and preaching the gospel to, then why does he do all of those healings? Why not? And also, why does he heal people after they've already come to faith? Why? I mean, because one healing would be enough to show who he is, but yet he doesn't do that. He continues to heal um, and he heals out of compassion. So wouldn't that be simply enough just to heal one person uh, and, and then that be end, the end of it? But you see this happening over and over again. Uh, even when the guy who's paralyzed at the temple gate, he gets healed, right? Paralyzed man gets healed. 3,000 or 4,000 come to believe in Jesus one day. And it says signs and wonders continue to happen afterwards. But why would that be needed if these people already believe? Um, I think the point is, is that healing is not only to authenticate who Jesus is. Healing is because God is good and he's a healer. That's actually one of his names is Jehovah Rapha, our God who heals. Mm. And so I would say that that is always true and that has never changed. It's the cessationists that want to say God was this way at one time, but he's not that way today. Uh, or at least they do by implication if they don't state it directly. But that is the message people would walk away with when you say that he stopped doing these things. So let's, re let's recap this stuff because, I, man, I agree with all of you guys, but I want to make sure that we are concise with all of this. So here's the points. Okay, the points are Jesus only heal with a word or touch. Uh, point two, uh, uh, never in all of his teachings does the Bible say that he healed people progressively or he started to heal them. Point number three was he healed them totally and completely, never partially. Point number four, uh, he healed everybody, healed everyone instantaneously, healed everyone totally, and healed everyone with a word. Uh, sorry, sorry, fourth one was uh, he healed anybody, so anyone. So not, not only was it just all the time and fully, but it was also anyone who come to him. Uh, point number five, fifthly, he healed organic diseases, right? Like not lower back pain, right? Not not headaches, uh, not heart palpitations, right? Point six uh, was that he raised the dead. Uh, and then point seven was that they could, could do all these things on command. Now, every single one of those points, maybe with the exception of um, Jesus healed everyone that came to him. Like, I mean, depending on how you want to interpret that, every single one of these points is just waterless it, it holds nothing so if you're out there and you're watching i, I want to i'm going to encourage you uh if you're a cessationist maybe you're a continuationist man be, familiarize yourself with this stuff because you know like we said earlier the cessationist who do they go after right like they, they go after the most hyper charismatic uh biblically unfaithful uh easy targets when it comes to the gifts of the spirit they don't go after the sam storms the jack deers the craig keeners they don't go after the scholars like da carson and john piper they don't go after the, the deeply thoughtful theologians they typically go after the hyper charismatic versions what we're doing in this series we've responded to stephen nichols we, we've responded to steve lawson we've responded to john MacArthur. We're, we're walking through the best that the cessationists have to offer and their arguments just aren't good and, and this isn't, again, us to, oh, you know, they're dumb. They don't know what they're talking about. It's to say that this position is biblically untenable. And the Bible, God God has spoken through the scriptures, and he's told us he wants to give us the spirit in order to have power to be his witnesses in the world. I don't want you to live a powerless life. And I feel like cessationism is nullifying the power of God. It's, it's a tradition of men that nullifies the word of God, and it's causing the people of God not to be dependent on him, not to believe in him, not to trust him, to do these kinds of supernatural activities in our midst, which does what? It 
empowers us to bring the gospel message to the world. It edifies and encourages us within our own local communities to, to deepen our faith and trust in God. So guys, we do these videos, again, not to mock, not to scoff, not to pick on John MacArthur or Steve Nichols or Steve Lawson and the others that we've responded to, or Justin Peters even, is, we have a video coming out on him here pretty soon. We do these videos in a response in, in order that you would be encouraged and empowered by the Spirit, that you'd be edified and God would be glorified. That's the aim in what we're doing. And, and I hope that you guys can see that because, uh, frankly, I, I think we should all be pursuing some measure of power that, that many of us aren't walking in and trust God all the more yeah. for it. Yeah, I, I think some cessationists, I won't say all, but just because the argumentation is is so not good. Um, I think that some cessationists, because they they have their community, they have their following, that it's actually like it can't be logic that's keeping them there because they're closing their eyes to the healings uh, and, and the thorough documented research all around them. They're closing their eyes to the basic arguments of scripture. They're not even reading, most of them, the arguments of continuationist scholars. And what this tells me is that at least some, at least some cessationists, the reason they're cessationists is the fear of man. Some cessationists are afraid to go against the grain, go against their community. I mean, think about for some of them, it would be costly. You'd have to like give up your following. You'd have to give up and go to a different community if you started actually believing in this stuff. And I just want to say that the, the fear of man is a snare. Uh, it's impossible, Galatians 1.10, to be a servant of Christ and man. And so I just want to challenge, and you can ask the Holy Spirit to search your own heart. Please don't hear me. I'm not accusing every cessationist of this. I'm simply saying the argumentation is is so beneath what I know is your stellar intelligence, and I mean that with sincerity, um, that I, I think there's something else at play. For some people, there's a fear of man, and I would urge you to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart on that. Leave the camera on, Michael. Thanks, Josh. As long as possible Thanks to make that. him uncomfortable. All right, Josh. You got to get to the airport, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I got to get to the airport. Guys, Yeah, guys, we started a little early episode. today for that reason. Yeah, that's why we got to catch a flight uh, for some of my friends. Anyway, so uh, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. Uh, if you want to watch more content like this, hit the subscribe button because we're coming out with content like this every single week. Uh, make sure to subscribe, like the video, share it around to your favorite cessationist. Uh, see if they have any arguments that respond to this stuff because I'd, I'd be fascinated to hear it. Uh, anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to support the channel, we are crowdfunded. Links in the description, top link for PayPal, link underneath it for Patreon. Uh, and always, uh, if you're out there and you're like, I'm so poor, my baloney doesn't have a first name, I know what it's like. Uh, if you want to uh, send me an email at uh, josh at theremnantradio.com or media at theremnantradio.com, sorry, uh, you can contact me. And if there's a video specifically that you want to watch, let me know and I'll send it to you for free because I know what it's like. Anyway, hugs and kisses, everybody. Blessings. And we'll see you next time. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo 
promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classroom. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio.